views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil. When the feast that feeds you starves our father's children. When snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up. When famine claims millions, when justice gives blind eyes to billions, when the Lord's anger is no longer feared, if his protection is gone and your enemies are near, if you've seen the seas spill over and the mountains shake, break, and fall, if the moon ever turns blood red and you can't see the sun at all, rise up, no matter if the prize is high in the skies or deep, deep in perdition, if our leaders are globally despised. Peace and welcome to New Abolitionist Radio, a program that seeks to educate, inform, and agitate on the issue of 21st century slavery. Hosted by social activist and spoken word poet Max Parthas with new abolitionist and actionist Johanna Nelaya and Black Talk Media Project founder Scotty Reed. On this program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking along with projects and people who help combat it. Today is September 14, 2016. It's now five days since the IWW, Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee, National Prison Work Strike began on September 9, 2016, which was the anniversary of the Attica Prison Slavery Uprising of 1971. This is the largest organized prison slavery revolt in American history, if not the world. At least 24 states and 40 facilities are involved. State after state, including my own of South Carolina, have been putting their prisons on lockdown, denying outside information, threatening, abusing, and starving prisoners, denying them basic human rights. It's also 10 days before the Missouri Cure's 13th Annual Human Rights Conference, where I will be the keynote speaker. It's been a long time since a slavery abolitionist was the keynote speaker at a human rights conference. We'll also have our brother, uh, Johanna, will be there, as well as poetry from Tribal, Tribal Rain. It's also been 28 days since the Department of Justice announced they would begin phasing out the use of for-profit private prisons. The ripple effects grow daily, as DHS also announced it will consider ending its use of the same companies. We're going to cover all of that and more tonight on New Abolitionist Radio. Right now, I want you to text, post, or share the program and tell someone to listen in at blacktalkradionetwork.com. We've got new questions, real answers, and legitimate solutions. You might not like them, but over and over, we've been the only ones out here making any sense of all of this. Our track record speaks for itself. So let's get this program started. A rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad is Anthony Wright. 
who endured two trials and 25 years in prison before a jury found him not guilty of the 1991 rape and murder of an elderly woman in Philadelphia. On August 23, 2016, he became the 344th DNA exoneree in the nation. As usual, our abolitionist in profile this week will be provided by Scotty Reed. Expect all of that and more tonight on New Abolitionist Radio. If you'd like to share a comment or question, call in and join us at 1-641-715-3660. The access code is 549-032-POUND. Just press star 6 and 1 to queue up from the conference line. What's happening, Scotty? Greetings to you, Max. Are you all good, man? I was uh, pulling my hair out earlier with frustration, but I'm good now. I have calmed down. <laughs> you know what, what? What had you pulling your hair out, man? Uh, my computer. Just my computer was just frozen oh, yeah. up, and I was trying to get my information together. You know, this stuff takes a week's worth of researching, and then uh, on Wednesdays, Tuesday and Wednesdays, I really focus on putting together what we're going to be presenting, so we can have a uh, a nice wrapped up with a big red bow on it presentation for you. So if you only listen to one show, you're going to understand everything we're talking about from beginning to end. You'll get the whole story. I mean, if you don't get anything else, you'll walk away knowing that slavery was never abolished. I mean, if you can't have an open mind and you're an honest person and you have at least a 12th grader's reading comprehension, maybe even less than a 12th grade uh, uh, reading comprehension. Uh, I I wonder if I could probably get an 8th grader to read the 13th Amendment and I could then say, now tell me what you just read. You know, what does that mean? What does accept mean? What does the word accept mean? So what does accept mean in the context of the 13th Amendment? And so you will, you know that that exception clause means that slavery and involuntary servitude was never abolished in this country. It was uh, just simply uh, reserved. Once they convict somebody of a crime, then we could put you into slavery. There's a long, long history of this, documented history. Um, I'm, again, looking forward to, um, what what's her name? A- uh, Ava DuVernay. Looking forward yes. to her documentary, The 13th, which will be on Netflix on October the 7th, as well as in uh, select theaters across the nation. But I'm, I'm perceiving from what I've seen and read about this documentary film that has gotten rave reviews from some of the film festivals it's been a part of. And so, you know, um, that's that's if you don't get anything else from that this program, I just hope that you'll get that you'll get that historical fact indeed and you know they're starting a lot earlier than the fifth and sixth and seventh grade reading levels uh i've been doing this for a long time now and i got a lot of friends who share their stories with me of what their children have said and done in schools when presented with false information um like the talking about in history in class about when slavery ended or the 13th amendment or abraham lincoln their children have been taught well, and they will stand up and contradict these things. And that's a big problem that we face in the United States today is miseducation. You know, we've got teachers who are just uh, reciting things. They're not even bothering to understand yeah. the true history behind anything now. And they're just telling you what they're expected to tell you. 
And the children are just simply expected to be able to recite what they were told. Right. And, you know, I did pretty good academically in school, always on the honor roll, even if I only showed up to school half the time, you know, but I would score pretty high on the test. And history was one of my favorite subjects, and I always got an A in history. But what you just said is what I realize now, that all all I was able to do was just have, you know, a photographic memory where I could read the textbook, what they told me to read, and then, like you said, answer questions that is basically having me just recite back what I read in these textbooks. And now we know in some parts of the country, some of these textbooks will be depicting victims of slavery as happy immigrants. Happy immigrants. And uh, what was the other one? It was um, the unpaid interns. Yeah, as unpaid it says interns. in Texas school books now. Unpaid internship. That's a hell of a name for slavery. You're yeah. raping, brutalizing, murdering, exploiting men, women, and children. And the best thing you can call it is unpaid internship. And then on, um, I think one of the books I recall we reviewed on this program or or a story where a parent had pointed out in one of their, I think it was geography, and they was talking about, you know, world migrations of different people. And they were portraying the Atlantic slave trade like that was a voluntary migration. You know, that's how they was depicting it. Like it was these people decided to migrate. Well, it is true that Africans did migrate here from Africa to South America to this, you know, North America, this continent as well. But, you know, that was that was years, hundreds of years possibly before the Europeans landed here. But we know the the um uh transatlantic slave trade was not voluntary those teenagers did not have a ticket to ride a boat and come here voluntarily so you know again this is the deception that they uh practice through education and why it is very important that we as parents uncover the correct information ourselves again only came into the knowledge slavery was never abolished four years ago and that i was like you know four years ago i was 46 years old Word. And, you know, I, I've made it my business to go to grammar schools and high schools and colleges and teach this and, and tell it to the children. Like, you know, right here in my own community, I've been down to the grammar schools meeting with the kids and explaining to them about the true history of slavery and the true acts of Abraham Lincoln as president and what he accomplished and what he didn't accomplish. And it's pretty funny, too, because while I was doing it, they had these posters around the room, and one of them was showing uh, Abraham Lincoln as the person who ended slavery and it was really extolling him as this great hero and I contradicted all of that but I made sure those kids understood the truth of the matter because they are our future and we don't want them to be miseducated we want them to know exactly what they're facing so they don't end up making up names like we're doing now with all these synonyms for slavery we call it everything but slavery and I mean people make up some weird names for them like uh, policeteering I heard one pundit call it, and uh, it's a word that never existed before, but instead of saying modern slavery and human trafficking, they're calling it police securing. Another one that just came out with some Marxist views recently uh, out of this video where he was uh, calling it the legacy of slavery. This is no legacy. This is slavery right now. 
people are suffering from this right now. Right. Their emotional uh, mindsets are being affected by this right now. They're not suffering so much from what happened 100 years ago. They're feeling the effects of what happened yesterday. Right, exactly. And and see, there is a there is a conspiracy fact in this country to hide the fact that slavery was never abolished, like you just mentioned. I mean, just all all of this, just the existence of the Abraham Lincoln Monument in Washington D.C. just solidifies or helps to perpetuate the greatest lie ever told to I believe you know in in the history of mankind. I mean, this is terrible. And and so now we see these prison strikes against uh, prison slavery, modern-day slavery, and human trafficking. And I've been checking out the videos of the different abolitionists who have been demonstrating outside of these prison plantations, and they're using the correct language. They're calling it slavery. They're mentioning the 13th Amendment. They said that we are here in support of these modern-day victims of slavery. And that's not, you know, what? We're on our fifth day now. That some that that these um, national strikes happen, and some even happen before the ninth. I think I saw one where they kicked off on the seventh. But but my point is, is here we are five at least five days into it, into this historic national. I mean, when when was the last time there's been a documented? Well, I would I documented the Attica slavery rebellion, but there have been many more. But we've reported them on the, on this program. But that's what I'm looking. But this is the first one that it was nationally coordinated to go down at the same time all over the nation. This is a historic yes. event. This may have been the largest slave rebellion in this country's history. I'm I'm serious. How does this yeah, not make it goes beyond state borders? How does this not? How, yes, yes. I'm seeing solidarity uh, demonstrations in Europe. I'm seeing also uh, uh, rebellions in Africa inside the prison plantations. All right. So I mean, again, we've always told you on this program that this is a global institution. Slavery is a global institution. Correction Corporation of America, Geo Group, um, uh, G4S, all, all these are international, okay, slavers. And it's all over the planet. It just happens more here, you know, than anywhere else. You have more of a concentration of uh, enslaved victims in, in, in one, you know, landmass right here on, in, on this North American continent. So, I mean, it is just, it is just, it's not surprising, but it's still very disappointing that this would be going on in the mainstream media. I haven't seen a signal, a single report except for one report from CBSnews.com. Not CBS, the TV or the cable news show, but on CBS.com. One article. That's all I've seen. Democracy Now! did like a... Well, a, a Democracy long, Now! Uh, I don't... Con- I don't consider yeah. them corporate media, though. They're nonprofit, like the Black Talk Media Projects is, right. is, is nonprofit. And, They're and, about the biggest outlet that has spoke on this that I can see. Yes, they the are. Yes, they've been covering it consistently, and, and, and uh, they've been doing a very great job. But, you know, um, what's the excuse? Okay, let's say the producer, the news producer, whoever picks the stories, um, comes up with the script for these news programs. Um, on um, these major corporate uh, news uh, channels on cable, 
Now, okay, so you are Don Lemon or I'm Joy Reid or I'm I'm whatever. I'm whatever person that should be against slavery considering that I'm a black person and I talk about it all the time in past tense or whatnot. But you would think that this that these people, even if they're handlers, their handlers won't allow them to cover these stories. Well, they got their own personal Twitter accounts. Or are you telling me that, hey, the massa run their Twitter accounts too, and they can't even tweet about it? And I tweeted at Joy Reid of MSNBC about it. I tweeted several stories to her and asked her, you know, what, what, where's the coverage? Where's the coverage of this historic rebellion against modern-day slavery? You know, if you remember, Joy Reid was the one that censored me. Mm. Yeah, that's so right. That's right. That's right. That's right. At that town hall in Charleston. At, yep, in Charleston, South Carolina, where I spoke about modern day slavery and human trafficking in front of that huge, uh, would have been international crowd, but it was the uh, the crowd there in Charleston, South Carolina, and they deliberately uh, omitted everything that myself and our brother Muadine Debaha said during that program. Yeah, they're ta- he's talking about they were taping the program and. Uh, where Max uh, stood up and spoke, um, you know, because they were giving the people in the audience the opportunity to speak, but they bumped Brother DeBaha. He was supposed to be on the panel. They bumped him, but yeah, that all of that uh, exchange ended up on the cutting room floor. Yes, it did. So it's not like she doesn't know. She know. I told her myself personally, face to face. So she knows what's going on, which leads me to believe that there's something else involved here. I'm telling um, you, it's you know, a conspiracy. It's I, a conspiracy I, I aside. To a very large degree, yes, absolutely. Fits the description to a T. You know, we just celebrated, celebrated, September 11th, as a matter of fact. And, uh, you know, people were talking about the trade towers and things like that, but we have another date. Uh, another thing that happened on September 11th, and I shared it with our audiences throughout the uh, networks as well, and it's the reason why prisoners are called property today, and that occurred on September 11th. Uh, for those that don't know, September 11th in 1861, President Lincoln, the betrayer, ordered John C. Fremont to rescind his order freeing some slaves in Missouri and issue a new order conforming to the Confiscation Act passed by Congress. It said, with respect to slaves, that authorized court proceedings to strip their owners of any claim to them, but did not clarify whether the slaves were free. As a result of this ambiguity, these slaves came under union lines as property in the care of the U.S. government. In response to the situation, General David Hunter, the Union Army Military Commander of Georgia, South Carolina, and Florida, issued General Order Number 11, freeing all slaves in areas under his command. Upon hearing of Hunter's action one week later, Lincoln immediately countermanded the order, thus returning the slaves to their former status as property in the care of the federal government. And isn't that what prisoners are today? State property in the care of the federal government or local government. You know, that's not the first time he issues such an order. Again, people, don't look at me like I'm the angry black man or we're just a bunch of people who just hate white people and that's why we're attacking 
uh, President Lincoln and how dare you say something about that man. He was honest Abe. And, and look, all of this, you can if you have access to the Internet, which you do, if you listen to this program, you look this information up. And this isn't the first time that field commanders of the Union Army had emancipated uh, enslaved Africans and even recruited them to be in the Army uh, to make up regiments. And then here come when Lincoln hear about it, he rescinds those orders. Okay, that happened with the. Now I don't know for sure, but I read a report that claimed that. The first black regiment, and I'm imagining that they're talking about one made up of what they call contraband back in the day, but it's emancipated enslaved Africans who had either emancipated themselves or or somebody else emancipated them. But they were supposed to have made up the first all black regiment in the Union Army out of South Carolina right across the border. I forget which regiment it was, but I was reading up on some local history, and you know I'm right, you know, North Carolina and South Carolina share so much history. And, and, and so, you know, I was like, man, this man is really disgusting. They really did a good job in just, I mean, really, this, this, this is how easy it is to brainwash we could say, Max, billions of people, because billions of people on the planet actually believe the United States abolished slavery. But, I mean, wow, this has been a masterful job, man, that they have done. But I'm here to tell you that the truth is getting out. The truth is spreading. And I just really, really can't thank those enough who stood out there outside of these prisons in the hot sun and, you know, with your loudspeakers and, and, and giving up the abolitionist message in support of these victims of slavery that are demonstrating right now. Indeed, brother, that has made me feel a renewed sense of vigor because when we started this program, New Abolitionist Radio, you didn't see anything like that of the sort. I mean, there were these pockets of resistance and they were primarily what was called prison abolitionists. They wanted to abolish prisons, but that's not what you're seeing now. What you're seeing now are slavery abolitionists. They want to abolish slavery. Prisons are a part of the modern slave system and not all of it. They want to abolish slavery starting with the 13th Amendment's exception clause, the state's exception clause, to get rid of these private for-profit prisons and prison industries, to take them out of our country to the root completely and ban them forever. (laughs) They want people to be freed. And we suspect that somewhere around 1.5 million people in prisons today should be walking free right now. They have no business being there. Everything from debtors' prisons to unpaid parking tickets to even uh, conspiracies like the uh, Annie... uh, Annie... Dukins. What was her name? Excuse me? Annie Dukins. Yes, even up to like Annie Dukin, where we've shown how tens of thousands of people were railroaded into prisons with false information, which this woman was doing for profit. And, you know, I feel some kind of way, as I said, I'm, I'm proud to see this change in perception occur, because that is the key issue. We had to change our mind. We've got to change our mind about what we're facing. If you keep thinking of it as something that is a mistake made over time, errors in judgment, or just 
plain old, you know, wrong thinking that spiraled out of control, then you can address it as a mistake. You can fix it. You can reform that mistake. But we're not looking at this as a mistake. We're looking at this as something that was done on purpose starting in 1863 and has continued to this day. It is slavery and human trafficking, and that is a crime. And you can't abol- you can't reform a crime. You can't reform rape. You can't reform murder. You can't reform genocide. And you certainly can't reform slavery. So what do you do? You abolish it. Right on. You know, I'd like to start the program out with something that came out recently, and I'm not sure how I feel about it, but I, I want to hear your opinion on it, Scotty Reed, and that's Mark Anthony Hill, or Mark Lamont Hill, I think is his name, did a video in regards to the 13th Amendment and modern-day slavery. So I, want, I don't know if you've heard it, but I would like for you and our listeners to hear it and maybe give an opinion on what you think of what he said. I put it up on New Abolitionist Radio so you have easy access to it. Yeah. Anytime you want to clear it up, feel yeah. free. Oh, and one more thing. Is Brother Johanna with us tonight? Not yet. All right. You know, when the prison came about, it really came, it's a, in many ways a very American thing. There were other forms of punishment that were similar, but they were very different than what the Americans came up with. We had this idea, and the Quakers in particular had an idea that prison could be something that could be rehabilitative. We came up with the idea of the penitentiary, and at the root of the word penitentiary is penitence. The idea was that you could pay penitence, that you could give penitence, that you could uh, atone for your sins. And so the Quakers decided that they'd create a space where you'd go to this place and you'd reflect, they gave them a Bible, they came a bed, they read, they reflected, and they came out into the world better citizens. The problem is when Eastern State Penitentiary was created and these other penitentiaries were created, they weren't created for black and brown folk. And they weren't connected to the economic logic of America. This was a purely a, a project about making white people whole again. Then suddenly when black folk start going to jail, it's a whole other thing. It's no longer about rehabilitation, it's about exploitation. Remember, the prison begins after, uh, after slavery. You know, you had all these people on all these plantations, all these farms who were making money. America is built on the exploitation of black labor. America is built on slave labor. So slavery ends and suddenly the slave codes turn into black codes, right? Because the 13th Amendment abolishes slavery, right? But it only abolishes slavery except under the condition of prison. In other words, if you commit a crime, if you're incarcerated, according to the 13th Amendment, slavery is still allowed. So you're technically a slave if you're in prison. Absolutely. You can legally be told what to do. Your labor can be forced, etc. So if codes turn into black if codes, no, if, if nobody's right? a, because if, the so think about it, you need slaves to keep the economy going. You don't have slaves anymore unless people commit a crime. So what do you do? You make everything a crime. So suddenly mm-hmm. the slave codes became the black codes. So now mm-hmm. black people can be arrested for vagrancy for standing outside, for cursing in front of a woman, for being out of town without a job. All of these things, which are fairly arbitrary crimes, or if crimes at all, they take them and they throw them back into the prison. And then they have something called the convict lease system, where the prison can lease the convicts out to the same plantations they left to do the same work that they did as slaves. So now the slaves 
have become free only to become slaves again through prison. And that is wow. a system that we're dealing with right now, a, a, a new version of the convict lease system. And that's why labor is exploited. And that's why prisons have become even more for profit. That's why we see more privatization, because people make, a money, make money in this country of exploited labor. And this is one example of it. There you have it, Dr. Mark Lamont Hill. Uh, he's being called on his bio. He says he's one of the leading intellectual voices in the country. He's also the host of BET News and VH1 Live, as well as a political contributor for CNN. Yeah, he also be um, um, on HuffPost Live too. I've seen right, him on right. the so what did you you heard him? I didn't uh, have any problems said. with really anything that he said. Um, he might could refine some of the stuff, but I mean, basically, he he basically hit the nail on the head. In, in my opinion, he had the history right. Um, maybe in the beginning when he talked about the invention of, of prisons, and yeah, the Quakers did come up with the penitentiary. Um, and but they also came up with solitary confinement, which is recognized as torture and still in practice uh, today. But in terms of the slave codes becoming the black codes, and and no, these things aren't crime. Like he said, you know, they, if they were crimes at all, he knows that they're, you know, that's ridiculous. Oh, I'm gonna put you in prison for being unemployed, which which is actually which was actually happening. You know, or black folks congregating on the corner to talk about gossip or or whatever. Oh, y'all are loitering. That's against the law. If you can't pay the fine, we sentence you to 30 days in jail. Uh, during those 30 days, you'll be working for uh, a, uh, Acme Mines, you know, mining, working in this dangerous mine. And if you get killed, oh, well, you're just a slave. And, and so, I mean, but... Um, I couldn't really think of, of of anything that you know. I, I'm glad somebody in, in showcase like him in that position is putting it out there that slavery was never abolished. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what he said. Yeah, yeah, he he was right on point, as you said. And there was just one. There was actually two areas where I have issues. All right, and okay. I've been following his work. I've listened to him speak on CNN on more than one occasion. And at one point, if you remember, just a couple of weeks ago, maybe about a month ago, I was talking about him and what? his altercation with a racist policeman on CNN. Yeah. And I was saying at that point, if you're not trying to end slavery, if you're not talking about slavery, you're really not a threat to white supremacy. And he wasn't talking about it. This is the first time I heard him come out with this conversation. First time ever. Well, this might be, you know, he was just also at the conference of the oppressed that was in Cleveland that had yes. a, a very wide variety of speakers, you know, from the RBG scholars to Boyce Watkins. He, uh, uh, Mark Lamont Hill was there. You had uh, uh, Malik Zulu Shabazz was there. Uh, members of the New Black Panther Party was there. And so you had, a, a, you know, he came from there. And so also, man, don't sleep on the fact that these people listen to Black Talk Radio, man. You can't oh, be a conscious. Oh, here as guests, remember? I was, you and I were talking to the people who were attending the conference as speakers. Yeah, but, but I'm I talking about like people that. like uh, Mark Lamont Hill. Now, here is my thing. Again, I'm not criticizing the brother. Maybe he found the courage or the backbone, or maybe he just really connected the dots, um, you know, that now it's undeniable. undeniable. 
that's the first time I heard him really lay it out in such no uncertain terms and lay out the history that this is slavery. Now, can I see you say that on CNN? Can I see you say that on MSNBC? Can I see you even say it on Huffington Post live when you're on there? That's one thing when you're doing an interview from for some alternative, you know what I'm saying, alternative media. But when you get on the corporate media plantation, are you are you saying the same things? I would like to see that, Mr. Hill. Right. So, you know, it's, it's good to see the mindset change. But this is, should be our focus, period. This should be the main core of all the arguments right here, what he was just expressing. Mm-hmm. And that was the other thing that, that kind of, you know, gets to me is, we have this tendency as people to to hear these words about slavery never ending and accept them and say, okay, that's true, but don't act like it's true. We go on to some other argument as if this thing happens every day and you knew it all along when you didn't, and you don't. So we need to start acting like this is slavery going on and start prosecuting slavers. You I, know? I so, still think um, it's a shock. I still think people going through the stages of shock when they hear us or they come across the 13th Amendment or they hear Mark Lamont Hill, they see that video and heard what he said, and then they go look up the 13th Amendment, and it's it's a shock to them, man. It's a shock to them. Like, for example, I'm not saying this in a negative way, but like I do the BTR weekly commentary for our media partner, Tanya Free and Friends. And so today I was talking about, I did, you know, like my little two-minute commentary on the um, – on the ongoing uh, slavery rebellion, prison slavery rebellions that's going on nationwide. And after two minutes of of using, I mean, it really, if you heard it, Max, I think you have because you shared it, I saw. But I'm using language as if I was in the 1800s. I'm using the same language. I'm slave catchers. Even when I talk about the Attica prison massacre, slave catchers and prison overseers, plantation overseers, I'm using that language. So even after I do that report, saying, stating in no uncertain times, this nationwide rebellion is about prison slavery. And I would expect somebody to comment on it afterwards and say, you know, I, I didn't know about that. I heard about that, that, you know, I, I'm glad, you know, that, how come I haven't seen this on CNN where he just said or whatnot? Or, I, I mean, I think when certain people hear it, especially, you know, the sort of black people who are in the upper middle class or middle class and, and, you know, they're not out here struggling to eat. It's kind of a, a shock to them, man. It's kind of shock mm-hmm. to them. It's a shock yeah. to them, but we're going to wake them up, though. Well, that leads back to your earlier question about why the media isn't covering this story. And that, that kind of points it out right there. See, if they cover this story, then they have to also entertain the argument. They have to talk right. about it. Right. Because they are presenting a clear argument that this is modern day slavery. We're being worked for pennies if or nothing on the dollar, and we're being forced. These prisoners are being forced to do jobs for commercial industries. Everything from McDonald's to um, Victoria's Secret to uh, Whole Foods. They're being forced to do these things, and if you don't work, you do suffer penalties for that. And not to mention what's happening to them as this strike goes on with the lockdowns going on the bird feeding, which is starving prisoners, the abuse from guards and things like that. 
that are happening right now. So if the media touches this story, not only do they have to entertain the logic being presented, but they have to allow the American public to entertain the logic, to listen to the argument, and to consider it for themselves. And that is the very last thing corporate America wants. No, they know, though. They don't want to expose themselves as liars because you know you know, the big, they just covered the 150th anniversary of the Civil War, the 150th anniversary of the 13th Amendment. They've been covering these stories with these fake events that's been going on, you know. And and and, and so, you know, we, we even pointed out in when they wrote their little articles about the anniversary of the 13th Amendment, how they were, they were like slavery and involuntary servitude shall be abolished, dot, 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 dot. No other words. Well, what happened to the rest of the words? Why you didn't publish the rest of the 13th Amendment? They ain't but, what, maybe 15, 20 words? But what's the problem? Y'all running out of copy space or something in your paper? You know, I thought this was, dig- this was digital and you ain't had to worry about those sort of things no more. You know? So they, they know. And so if they covered this and then, like, you got these demonstrators out there using the right language, calling it prison slavery, the prisoners themselves are calling it prison slavery and what have you, then, you know, again, like you said, you're confronted. Then the masses will be like, well, you know what, Don Lemon? Well, just doggone in November, you was talking like, I mean, in December, you was talking like slavery was abolished. You know what I'm saying? So you was bragging about the, the the bravery of Lincoln and being a man ahead of his time. And and so, well, I mean, what's this notion about slavery never being abolished? So, yeah, man, it's crazy. But listen, well, we're overdue. About faces. The media does that often. They'll make it about face and act like they've always known and been talking about it. You think so? I mean, it was just 2012 when... Don Lemon was talking about post-racial America, and all the pundits were saying and echoing the same thing about how racism is over and this is post-racial America. And then it got smashed in their face that they were couldn't have been more wrong. And they about faced, and now they're talking about this racial uh, inequality that's going on in America. But we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll get to the rest of our stories. So listen to New Abolitionist Radio. Since 2008, providing new black media for the masses. Welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. We were just listening a little while ago to Mark Lamont Hill's video on modern day slavery and human trafficking and how it has uh, evolved from slavery to prison leasing, convict leasing.
Max, can you not hear yes, me? Sir. Can you hear me now? <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, we can <laughs> okay. we can hear you. No, I was just simply saying that if the judge doesn't know what's in a const the federal constitution or the state constitution, how how are they qualified to dispense justice? How are they qualified to dispense matters of law? They're not qualified, but but they are qualified to be to sentence people to slavery. Okay, they certainly qualified to do that. Indeed. We discussed this here under Revolutionary Federal. We explained how magistrate judges, for instance, in the United States aren't even required to have any sort of law degree. We've documented cases where rat catchers were working as judges, where so-called judges were holding courts in their backyards or in garages. And a lot of these small courts are driving, as we've documented here, the mass incarceration movement across the United States in these small towns where they use these uh, fees and fines and funds to literally fund their entire communities. But uh, to further with the story, it says that Chickasaw resident Sonia Ayers, 48, was convicted of a misdemeanor and ultimately jailed last year for more than a day after she was unable to pay her city utility bill. Her water was turned off, and she was ordered by the municipal court to pay more than $400 in fines and fees to the city. She also had to pay monthly supervision fees to the Judicial Correction Services, which is a private, for-profit probation company. Ayers could not keep up with the payments and was arrested after failing to appear at a court hearing that she was not informed about. Failure to pay your water bill should not be a crime, said Sam Brook, SPLC Deputy Legal Director. Yet this is exactly what happened in Chickasaw with an unconstitutional ordinance that harshly punished people for their poverty. The action by the Chickasaw City Council will ensure that residents will not be prosecuted or face criminal penalties when they simply cannot afford to pay for running water in their homes. It's a step in the right direction. Ayers, who was caring for an ailing mother, was unable to work and struggled to make her payments after her mother's health deteriorated. Her mother died in early November of 2015, and she was trying to get on her feet and received a job, off, job offer. When she went to the Chickasaw Courthouse on November 23rd last year to get required paperwork notarized for the job, she was arrested and thrown in jail. She was told that she missed the court date related to the charge of dwelling without water. I was in disbelief, said Ayers who still does not have running water or electricity. I thought the police officer was joking. I had never been in jail or in trouble, and I was almost certain that I couldn't be put in jail for not having water. The city of Chickasaw labeled me a criminal and prosecuted me in court because I was poor and could not pay. Um, I'm just to my own rhetoric added to it. We see this happening over and over again all across America, as I mentioned earlier. And the monies that they spent, that the taxpayers of that community spent to incarcerate this woman could have paid for her damn water bill, could have paid for her electric bill. But rather than to assist someone in trouble, they would prefer to put her in jail. Would they prefer to do that? Because putting people in jail is profitable. It's profitable and it keeps people. At New Abolitionist Radio on Facebook uh, right now, if you like. Brother Scotty? It's profitable and it keeps people employed, man. Slave catchers employed, prison and jail overseer and, and jobs and, and what have you. And that's just that's just pathetic, man. That's pathetic. That 
you know, your job depends on taking somebody else's freedom. And that is exactly what you're doing. That's exactly what you're doing. Now, you know, I'm not going to act like there's no, I feel like there is a need for peace officers and we need to get rid of police, but we do need peace officers because like last night, you know, up at the trailer park uh, up the street from me, uh, there was an act of domestic violence because I seen the female come up out of there with another male and she was talking about how her back was hurting. So I assumed that she got into it with somebody in, in one of the trailers. And next thing I know, here comes slave catchers. Now, I normally don't see Hey, it might go a month and I don't see slave catchers. But the slave catchers went up in there and they, you know, they handled things. I didn't go down there and be nosy or anything. I don't know if anybody got arrested. But those are legitimate instances where I feel like you need somebody to come in and keep the peace and, and make sure people are not um, being abused and what have you or violated or crimes being committed against them but for the most part most of all they are doing is catching slaves and collecting taxes through you know extra taxes through uh ticket writing schemes and what have you and you ain't got to take my word for your whole gaggle of slave catchers who caught a conscience was uh, recently on New York television telling you that they are the predators and we are the prey and they're forced to do these sort of things. So, you know, um, again, people need to wake up. They need to read these things and, and see what's really going on and don't wait until it happens to you or somebody in your family. It's happening to far too many people. You know, you don't want to wait till till the last minute and then there's nobody to stand up for you. So... Um, but there are a number of, of stories. I know we won't be able to get to them all, but I just wanted to say, man, there's a couple of stories, man. I don't know if you had saw them, but I had posted that I definitely want to yeah, get to. Yeah, I saw them. them. I was going to ask you to go ahead and share one of yours with us uh, today so I can hear some of sure, them. Sure, sure, sure. But before we do that, uh, let me check the board. Uh, still, we don't see Johan, and he's usually um, late because of his job. But the telephone number, if you have any questions or comments you would like to get in real quick, give us a call at 641-715-3660, participant code 549032-POUND. And um, just hit star 6 and 1, and uh, that'll signal me, and I'll bring you on air. Uh, this one story, um, now we all, most people have heard of Colin Kaepernick, the uh, second, the uh, second-string quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers has been demonstrating by not participating in the white nationalist ritual of pledging allegiance to the flag of USA Inc. And a lot of people been taking exception to that and, and, and what have you. But more and more, not only uh, um NFL athletes, but you're starting to get athletes in high school, athletes in other sports, also taking a knee, taking a knee. And even though everybody who's taking a knee is saying this that they're demonstrating because that flag does not represent liberty and justice for all. That's you know, when that happens, when all this slave catching and the brutality of these slave catchers stop and they stop, you know, being a given license to kill people and then just get paid leave you know so so even though they have said that other people uh racist suspects proxy racist tools of the system 
have just been trying to make it every about everything except for liberty and freedom of the people that Colin Kaepernick is standing up for. So, I mean, this is really catching on. I'm calling it the, Ka- the uh, Kaepernick effect. And so this one NFL player in particular, and it's really two stories in one, but you had this NFL player for the Oakland Raiders. Uh, his name is Ray Ray Armstrong, and he's being investigated by the Allegheny County Sheriff's Office for allegedly now get this, taunting a police canine, a dog, just call it a dog, prior to the start of the Raider games against the Steelers. Armstrong is accused of barking at the dog while lifting his shirt and pounding on his chest after exiting the locker room and entering the field for pre-game warm-ups, according to Chief Deputy Kevin Krause. Now, I'm not going to read the entire article to you, but look, this is what he said. I'll read this part. The dog was going crazy, Krause said. The deputy was trying to control the dog the best she could. Uh, Krause claims Armstrong told the deputy holding the canine to send the dog. All right, so anyway, they didn't arrest him right on the spot, um, but they have issued warrants for his arrest, and they are felony charges, I think. Uh, even if they're just state felonies, but he is fa- he could be facing up to seven years in prison. Now here is a, a NFL player playing one of the most violent games on earth, the number one game of the United States of America and, and its citizens and what have you. And these guys get hyped up; they're about to go out there and you know slam their body into other people's bodies and push and shove and throw people to the ground and and you know do all of that kind of stuff so this just seems to me like this man was hyped up he saw a dog he was like you know what i'm saying i mean we've seen these scenes in movies uh, of people barking at dogs and rah, 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 you know, and beating on their chest like, you know, they Godzilla or, or something like that. I'm, I'm hyping myself up. But again, a lot of these people in these positions of power, these slave catchers, these sheriffs, these prosecutors, they, they are not interested in the promotion of justice. And isn't it a shame? Isn't it a shame that these dogs, these dogs, these slave catching dogs have more rights than black people and other people, non-white people primarily. I mean, they sick the dogs and that wasn't the police. That was a mercenary group, but sick the dogs on the uh, indigenous protesters protesting that pipeline. But these dogs are treated with more dignity and respect, and they and, and the system tells us their lives matter more than ours. I've seen people get decades in prison for for harming one of these police dogs. Oh, the police dog about to bite your nuts off, and you shot them, you know, to save your jewels, the family jewels. Oh, you getting life in prison? You know what I'm saying? Like you didn't you didn't kill the human being or something. You know, and it's just sick, man. This is very sick. So, again, anybody that think that these athletes are not putting anything on the line, and I'm not even saying this dude was doing anything in regards to Colin Kaepernick's and the other athletes' protests. Sound like to me he was just hyped up. He was hyped up coming out there ready to go on the field and battle the Pittsburgh Steelers. He sees the dog. He, rah, 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 rah. Come on, man. 
And now you want to put somebody, you want to make somebody seven years a slave out of this. And then you wonder why people hate you. Then you wonder why people target you and want to see you dead. This is why, because you evil. You are slavers. You're trying to ruin, you're trying to turn this young man. Now, he's just a rookie, I think. I don't think he's making mil. He's not a superstar or anything like that. So, but anyway, he is making more money than most of us, I would say. He's making at least 100000 200000 or more a year, and he's paying taxes. So, you want to turn this man who is gainfully employed and paying taxes into a slave. That makes a lot of sense. That's that, that's Bro. what I wanted to share on that story, Max. But I got one more. But if you wanted to offer any commentary on on what on this, you know, yes, uh, indeed. I just want to say that they have been using dogs on us since we got here on the first boats, literally mm-hmm. sticking them on us, hunting us with those. Funding of public defense. Scotty? Yes, can you hear me? I can hear you now. All right, I had to change phones, man. There's something weird going on um, with my mixer, and um, I just uh, played with a couple of cables. So please, please allow me to go into this other story because it's connected to that one. And we do have a caller, area code 754. I see you. Hang tight. I was hoping that somebody from IWW would call in today with an update. It might be someone from there. All right, so um, just hang tight. Uh, We'll come to you. Um, Now, like I was saying, Ray Ray Armstrong is – 
part of the Oakland Raiders football team. Now, back in Oakland, now this occurred, what happened to him occurred in, in Pittsburgh. But back in Oakland, you may have heard about the huge sex scandal of all of those different cops for the Oakland Police Department as well as several other uh, police departments, sheriffs, deputies, and what have you, uh, were in, are involved in this sex scandal involving a underage uh, sex worker whose mother actually was a dispatcher for the Oakland police. I mean, it's just a jacked up story all the way around. But let me give you an update to that story. Last Friday, this comes to you from EastBayExpress.com. Last Friday, Alameda County District Attorney Nancy O'Malley announced that she cannot file criminal charges against six police officers in the Oakland sex crime scandal. This is because her main witness, a teenager who goes by Celeste Guap, is stuck in a Florida jail. O'Malley would like to charge officers from the Oakland and Livermore Police Departments. Look, she can I think she's making excuses. You can still charge them, and you can locate your witness later. I, I don't know why they need it unless they need her to give a sworn deposition or whatnot, but you got video of her talking about the crime. So anyway, um, it says that um, she would like to charge officers from Oakland and Livermore Police Departments and a deputy with the Contra Costa County for crimes varying from statutory rape to illegal use of a police computer system. But on August the 26th, now check this out, y'all. Check this out. Where is the Department of Justice? Where is the FBI? Listen to this. But on August the 26th, the Richmond Police Department and Contra Costa District Attorney's Office used state victim compensation funds to send a, a group, I don't know if I'm pronouncing her name correctly or not, but to send the victim to the Wellness Residential Detox Center in Stewart, Florida. So they sent her from all the way across the country to this so-called a uh, uh, drug, you know, facility to get her some help or whatnot. And now she's been arrested. I think she um, got into a fight with somebody else that was a patient there. I, I'm not sure on the details, but now she's been arrested and charged with assault out there. But this is a district attorney in a police department conspiring. What is the charge? What could we charge them with? Obstruction of justice, maybe? interfering you know uh, uh trying to hide a witness interfere i mean there are all kind of charges they could stack on these people and so that is just so disgusting that's so disgusting but yeah you want to throw this nfl player you want you want to threaten him with seven years in jail for barking at a dog's and, and beating on his chest but what? But now we're hearing, oh, we can't charge these slave catchers who had sex with this little girl, and and because now they have helped her leave the state. So why aren't you charging them people, Max? The people in the people in charge right now are criminals. It's really just that simple. They are freaking criminals. An example would be the uprising that happened in Baltimore. Remember the 18-year-old boy who jumped on top of the police car? He was facing a half a million dollars in fines and up to 30 years in prison. And what happened to the people who actually killed someone, known as Freddie Gray, the police who did that, within that very same city? 
Right. So the woman who jumps out of a police car got to pay half a million dollars and takes 30 years, but the policeman who murdered a man walked away scot-free. Not only did they walk away scot-free, they demanded restitution. They right. got back pay. They got time off, vacation time for their ordeal. Mm-hmm. So this is the type of mentality that we're dealing with, where it's cover your ass only. That's all they're concerned with is protecting themselves, their departments, and the people around them. Right or wrong has nothing to do with it, which is why I consistently say we need to have a new version of the Nuremberg Trials, where we need to hold these people in power accountable for their crimes. If you don't clean house, you're just going to continue having the same people doing the same thing over and over again. As we reported here on New Abolitionist Radio, there's only been one case in history where a prosecutor faced charges for falsely sending someone to prison. Only once. Yeah. Max, um, I'm going to take a short station identification break and then go right to that caller um, because that could be the um, yes, you know the person you asked to call in and give us a report. So you're listening to All New right, Abolitionist. Right yeah, you want to take us to break? Yes, sir. Uh, you're listening new, to New Abolitionist Radio with Max Spartan, Scotty Reed, and Johan and Lai will be in shortly. We'll be right back after these messages. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. All right, we are back. Let me go to the phone caller, uh, 754. Thanks for being patient. Uh, go ahead with your question or comment. You're on New Abolitionist Radio Live. Hey, what's going on, fellas? This is uh, Seth, South Florida. Greetings, Seth. Hey, what's going on? I feel kind of bad because I, I want, I want, I want to hear an update. You know what I mean? What's going on? Because as as far as I know, you, you guys are speaking about the, uh, the the prison, um, the work stoppage, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah, um, you know, I, I got a couple, I got, I got some folks, you know what I mean, locked up in, in, in uh, Florida, down where I'm at. But, um, you know, I haven't, I haven't heard anything. I know, I, I heard something like maybe like two or three weeks ago, but that was it. I haven't heard anything about what's going on now. You know what I mean? But, um, uh, I, you know, I was listening to the, uh, the story out of, uh, out of California, and like a light bulb went off in my mind. Like, I got, I have. Two, two things to say about it. One, wealthy moment. You know what I mean? What she was saying about um, the gentrification process and about how they're moving us out of the urban areas and, you know, places like YMCA or the park or whatever, they're turning into dog kennels or dog parks or grooming centers for the, uh, 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 grooming centers for the dark, for the dogs. And how she was saying, you know, that, that's, that's what it is to them. It, the dog, the canine is is closer to them. is It's closer to them than we could ever be. The canine means more to them than we we could ever. And you know, she went to speaking about uh, Remus and Rom, uh, Romulus. You know, the, the making of Roman, all that stuff. And it fits right in. It fits right in. You know what I mean? And then, you know, Scotty, what you were saying about um about <laughs> the uh, the Oakland police officers. That's a classic shell game. As a classic European empower shell game, they do they do all this treachery, all this deception, all these evil things, and then if they're called out for it, if they can be called out for it, I should say, 
they just start just hiding behind stuff, you know, saying one thing and, and, and like like kind of like three car Molly, just showing you one thing you think is there and then cover it up and move it around. The yeah. thing with the um with with the witness, you can find you can see plenty if you've been in the if you've been in, in the system, you know what I mean, you know. Especially in Florida, places like Florida, California too, New York. They will go and get they ain't they ain't coming to get you from anywhere. They'll come to get you they will locate you. Matter of fact, they they know where you're going or where you are before you get there. Oh, they know so where she like, at, brother. Sin. They know because she been arrested and they known the whole time. But that's just how blatant. They don't even care. They don't even care. They know that this girl is a witness, and this prosecutor is don't care. Is undermining the other prosecutors' work and and using taxpayer money that was set up for victims. And then using that to ship this girl out the state all the way across the country to Florida. But they know where she at. But 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 guess what? I wouldn't be surprised if she end up dead. If she did what? End up dead. She ended up dead, right? Right. That's what it is nowadays. People get killed behind those walls, behind those fences. Every I'm willing to bet every week. Every week in Florida, somebody lose their life. So I, and I, I, you know, that's probably what is what is all about. Why they shipped out? I wouldn't be surprised if the prosecutor is cousins with some of the officers that committed the crimes, or their fathers, or something like that. It's all the intricate. It's a little group of races. And you're right. It's criminals in power, uh, 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 Mr. Max. It's criminals in power. So it's criminal. It's all. That's how it's going to be. That's right. That's right. So I, I can give you an update on Florida too. Oh yeah? Yes. I, I can tell you what I, I know about going on in Florida regarding the work strike. I know that two Florida prisoners were prisons were placed on lockdown on Friday and uh, state correction officers and commanders are trying to keep order, is what they call it, during what was touted as a nationwide prison strike trying to coincide with the 45th anniversary of the infamous riot at Attica prisons in New York. Uh, also, uh, it says that the Florida prison systems, the nation's third largest, will remain on high alert for the rest of the weekend. And Gladys said the disruptions that they had on Friday, because people started revolting on Friday, ranged from a handful of inmates refusing to perform their work assignments to major revolts. So Florida is right in the heart of this. They've got prisons that are involved, and they got prisoners who are organized and revolted. And see, the thing about Florida is that the prison system, it's, it's, I don't know how to explain it. It's like the military is right there. Like, as soon as something happens, the military is right there. And it's been like that. Like, my first time going to prison, 2000, it's been like that ever since then. And you know we have that mentality of self, but in, behind those, behind the fence, behind those walls, guys coalesce together, man. So I'm just, I got, I got one buddy just went out to prison. He was in the county for a little bit, and uh, like two and a half weeks later, he, he went. He just went Thursday, I think. Either, 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 either. No, the day is Wednesday. He went Tuesday. He left out Tuesday, so you know, and I, and I ain't heard nothing from him. So I, I just, I appreciate that, Madison. Um, I want to hang out in the queue, man. I want to listen to you guys and hang out in the uh, in the queue, man. And uh, well, you know, clear me out of the queue, and then I I go back in. But I want to hear the rest of the show and make some comments. I appreciate All right, it. Bro. Indeed. Q and A queue is cleared. Keep representing. 
Big up, Scotty Reed. Yeah, man. I, I mean, I'm just you and him both fight, brothers. You got to watch out. This woman might end up dying. She might end up getting killed. We know hey, what's going hey. on out here these days. Yeah, that be... be in ten days. Six people have already been shot dead in their car and burned to death. A friend of ours, Alvin C. Jacobs, one of a fellow abolitionists, went out there and took photographs of the crime scene after the alleged investigation. You can see the photos. I'll share them on New Abolitionist Radio. You got the car door laying on the ground with bullet holes in it. They must have picked up about a dozen different bullets no, yeah. right there. I mean, all the evidence is still right there as if they didn't really care to collect any evidence. But any this, other time you hear some something like this about six people being murdered in the same way and all of them activists, that's a serial killer. That's something more is going on. But apparently they don't even care to... Uh, clean the, the area up and investigate fully. Yeah, but in, in this girl's case, man, this um, um, sex worker from California, the A, we'll be hearing about her talking about, you know, she hung herself with a doggone plastic bag, you know what I'm saying? They gonna Sandra Bland her, so the only thing that might save her is this is a high-profile case. That's the only thing. She end up dead then, but then again, you know, they still won't do nothing. I mean, come on. Come on, man. They uh, they get away with murder all the time. So I, I just uh, feel for that, that girl because she still doesn't really grasp if you listen to her in some of the interviews because she was like, I don't have any hard feelings against them. You know, got that Stockholm syndrome. She don't understand that, that it was wrong. Well, she do understand politically, she says, that this was wrong, but she don't see how it was wrong that these slave catchers were having sex with her while she was underage, and they wasn't even paying her, man. They was paying her with tips on where not to be so you don't get arrested. That's how they was paying her. But other than that, they wasn't even paying her, man. And then this is one of their 911 dispatcher's daughters. These are disgusting, sick people, man. They belong up under the jail. And now you have a prosecutor in another police department, the Richmond Police Department in another county, who is now implicated in a conspiracy to obstruct justice. And 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 um, Loretta Lynch ain't nowhere to be found. Robert Comey ain't nowhere to be found. It's just lawlessness in this land. Amazing, Scotty. Oh, you know, I also meant to tell you, I had called you about a few days ago to, to give you the update, but I just found out recently that Brian Stevenson is coming to Columbia, South Carolina, and uh, he contacted a friend of mine, or his people contacted a friend of mine to set up a venue for him to come down here and speak, and uh, she called me about two days ago and said that she told him right off the bat, uh, I'm not the one you're looking for, I know who you're looking for, and I'm going to put you in contact with them, so apparently... Uh, Brian Stevenson, the founder of Equal Justice Initiative, who just received a million dollars from Google and is also an abolitionist, uh, will be here in Columbia, South Carolina sometime soon, and he and I will be having a sit-down. Hopefully, uh, we can come to some kind of uh, agreement where we can work together on things. It would be nice for us to get some of that money. Uh, the things we could accomplish here with New Abolitionist Radio with just a small amount of what him and others like him have received would be amazing. Right? I mean, I, I really think that we could accomplish great things we already have on a shoestring budget, but just give us a few dollars worth talking about and the world will change. Well, hopefully um, the new social media community 
Black Talk Media Project set up. It's a subscription-based community, just $24 a year. If we can grow that to 100,000 members, that's a budget, uh, an annual budget of $2.4 million a year. And uh, obviously, New Abolitionist uh, Movement has been a big part of what we do in our media operations. So uh, I'm, I'm looking towards that. But in terms of these... One way grants, or another, we're going to get it, huh, Scotty? <laughs> one way or another, that's we'll right. We'll do it ourselves. That's exactly how we roll. <laughs> that's right. The conclusion is foregone. We see, we're reading the tea leaves. We've been telling you these things before they happen, and then they happen. You know, our track record is impeccable. We know exactly where it's going, and I can tell you right here, right now, slavery is coming to an end. I hope in my lifetime. Indeed, and that's that's the question. That's all we're really concerned with is we, we need it to happen in our lifetimes and not for our sakes, but because we're very concerned that the next generation will not have the tools and be up against much more opposition than what we face right now. And their job will be that much harder. So we have to do it now. Well, Scott, you did have another story you said. Uh, I think we've got enough room for maybe two or three more okay. stories. Yeah, and, I uh, got one. I got one, and this one is one that I came across earlier this week, but it concerns the the Boston uh, slave catcher. Uh, the Boston slave catchers are refusing to wear body cams. I did cover this on BTR News earlier this week, but I wanted to cover it again and let the abolitionist audience hear this. These Boston slave catchers have been ordered. There's a program that they're trying, they try to make it voluntary first, nobody volunteered, all the slave catchers conspired to say, don't nobody wear this camera. And if you do, <laughs> you know, they gonna haze you or whatever, do what they do to people who, who who step over that blue line or whatnot. So they're refusing. These, again, these supposed to be public servants. Yeah, right. These are slave catchers. Public servants don't tell their bosses and their superiors what they ain't gonna do alright so these are stop calling them public servants these slave catchers uh, are, are, are have far more privileges and rights in this country than the average citizen the average taxpayer and and this is uh, this is insubordination man I wouldn't tolerate it but let me run this clip um from the Young Turks talking about it. Uh, it's playing the ad right now. Two, one. All right, let me skip the ad. Boston is my hometown, so I'm going to talk about the PD over there and the body cams that they are refusing to use. Uh, back in July, they slated a deal with the, the largest police union in Boston, slated a deal with the city of Boston to select a pilot program of 100 officers that would randomly uh, volunteer to wear body cams. There was even a $500 incentive to do so at, upon, upon completion of the program. Nobody stepped up. Not a single officer volunteered. So after that, they were told they were, were forced to wear the body cams, at which they balked and said, whoa, whoa, whoa. We never said that uh, we'd be mandatory to wear them. It would be volunteer basis only. 
No one volunteered, so they tried to force them to wear it. And as of now, it's still up in the air because they're trying to fight wearing body cams that much. Any other profession that works in front of cameras, if they tried to not work under cameras, they'd be fired from their job. It seems like something that very easily protects both parties involved in any given situation. And if anything, it is a positive, or maybe not even so positive, but a reinforcement upon good behavior in the police force. And I think it's really interesting when people refuse to kind of don these cameras. I think it helps the officers as much as anyone else. Absolutely. Yeah. It'll, it'll, it would defend them from being accused of something that they didn't do. Absolutely. But yeah. I, to, to use their the typical law enforcement argument against them is, uh, if you're not doing anything wrong, what do you care? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, now, but again, there's this culture of preservation within the police force that breeds this sort of negative sentiment towards body cameras. When you have FBI Director James Comey come out and say that um, police brutality is on the rise because of body cameras, he fucking said that. He came out and said, there are more instances of police violence because of body cameras. No, like, just complete failure of logic in that sense, where... It's not the police that are committing brutality. It's the body cameras that are not exposing it, but it's because of the body cameras. Then it's very hard to have change like this, and then you have police unions coming out and combating against uh, mandatory body cameras. When we've seen, um, when we've seen so many instances of disproportionate force uh, be brought to light, specifically targeting black communities, but also. Um, white people as well, uh, communities of no, I mean, white people, black people, Mexicans, everyone um, gets affected by police brutality in some way. So, Ja'Cory, do you think that this is sort of an act of solidarity from the police force in Boston? And so, like, if there was one guy that wanted to step up and wear the body cam, that he would just be totally a black sheep within this community? Do you think that's what the problem is? Absolutely. I think that's very much part of it, whereas people don't want to be blackballed within their community, just like any other community. So they're wearing these body cams. If you are selected to wear the body cam and your partner is not, I mean, your partner's automatically on edge because of you, even though he didn't select to wear a body cam. He doesn't feel that he can trust you anymore. He can't talk to you the same way he used to talk to you. He can't interact with you the same way he used to talk to you. So it's sort of an all-or-nothing mentality. It's like Serpico. I, I mean, I hate to go back to a movie or a reference, but um, when there is when there's injustice within the police force, and the not the majority, but a group of bad apples are really holding the rest of the police force down, and they're they're committing these crimes, but they're like, hey, you're either with us or you're against us. When that's the mentality. And of course, um, these sort of issues keep uh, happening, and we see that with things like the DOJ probe into Baltimore, into the, uh, I think, Cleveland police force. Like, there's different police forces that are currently under investigation, and we saw gross, gross disproportionately uh, targeting um, black communities within Baltimore from the Baltimore police, where, I mean, and, and I'm, I'm just thankful that we have body cams, finally, like, that's a topic of conversation. And I think we have movements like Black Lives Matter to thank for that because they are airing these issues. Before, like, I feel like back in the 90s when you saw a police, like, Rodney King was a specific, it was, was a different instance, but usually when uh, you never really heard about police brutality, uh, you never really heard about a police killing an unarmed black uh, male or whatever, you heard about, you know, violent crimes committed against rich people in local news and whatnot. And now... That attitude is changing, and now uh, because of movements like Black. 
All right, that that's the end of that clip. But let me just say this, um, and then I'll turn it over to you, Max. Um, now these supposed to be these police. We're told are represent the finest of the community and and have all this courage and this bravery to run into danger where nobody else would to save people and all this and that. Now, if you so brave and whatnot, why are you acting like a coward when it comes to these body cams? All right. So again, if you call yourself a good cop, but then you capitulate. To, to these other ones that's putting pressure on you, then you don't have any courage. You are not brave, okay? You are, are a coward. Again, I've only seen a few instances where cops put it all on the line and become whistleblowers and fall, file lawsuits themselves because they don't want to violate people's life, liberty, and steal their property, you know, in which the cops do steal your property. It's called the uh, asset uh, forfeiture program. So anyway, anyway, uh, I just wanted to say that Boston is a is full that slave catcher force. They just don't want their slave catching duties caught on film. But you know, every last one of them should be fired. I'm in agreement with you, Scott. Uh, I also understand how history works, and I know that. Excuse me. Had we had the uh, slave catchers during the Fugitive Slave Act been under the same scrutiny as the one we have today are under, they would have offered the same arguments. They would have done the same things because we were talking about ending their livelihood. Albeit, their livelihood is based on the oppression of millions of people. Right. And they know what they're doing is wrong, which is why they don't want these cameras available. They don't want people to see exactly what they're doing on a day-to-day basis. I bet you if you just took random a dozen different officers from across the country and recorded that every move for a week, you would be surprised at some of the things that would be uncovered by something as simple as that. Yeah. And I mean, in some of these counties that have adopted these programs, it has shown to reduce instances of police brutality. Again, when you know that that somebody might see you doing wrong, you won't be so quick to do wrong, all right? And so this is a proven fact, not that body cams are the end-all, be-all. Slavery abolition is the end-all, be-all. But in the meantime, so that we can bring relief and, and if we could prevent just one more extrajudicial murder from happening, then it's all worth it. The body cams are worth it. But again, you know, this just goes to like the word was used, the culture, the culture of corruption. Again, you can't be a moral person and be a slave catcher. I mean, it don't exist. A good slave catcher don't exist. Yeah, there's no such thing as a good slave catcher. It's just not. Well, we're coming down to about five minutes for the uh, final half hour mark. I want to try to speed uh, through like three different stories three or four different stories, just give you the gist of them. You can read them here at New Abolitionist Radio on Facebook for now, and you can also find them on Black Talk Radio Network on uh, our new community there as well. Um, let's the go ahead and take an early, uh, early break so you don't have to be interrupted as you go through these three stories. 
Okay, that sounds like a good idea. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio with Max Bartis and Scotty Reed on BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com. We'll be right back after these messages. This is Ron Hayes with Hood News, and you're listening to the Black Talk Radio Network. Stay tuned. This is Brother Elliot, host of Time for an Awakening, and you're listening to Black Talk Radio Network, new media for the new millennium. Welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. I want to give a quick shout-out to the George Jackson University Radio, which, as we speak right now, are interviewing Lee Woods. And for those that don't know, Lee Woods is uh, one of the premier advocates for ending the exception clause in the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. And he's doing an interview over there right now at George Jackson University Radio. It's really good to know that other formats now are giving voice to the abolitionist perspective. Right, right. And he's also creating more abolitionists. He's also the author of the book Prison Slavery. uh, The co author of the book. Yeah. It was uh, published in the seventies. Yeah, it was published in the seventies, if I'm not mistaken. Shout out to Lee Woods, shout out to uh, George Jackson University Radio. Uh, I'm glad to hear that you guys are uh, together and talking about this. Abolitionists across the entire globe need to unite and start working together. And uh, we're seeing that happening right now. But one of the, the, some of the stories that I want to speed through, I've already put them on New Abolitionist Radio for you to review. Uh, the first one is, I want to say that, as we mentioned earlier, there is only one political party or political candidate that is saying anything at all about this prison labor strike, prison slavery uh, strike, that is happening nationwide, the largest of its kind in history. And only one is as mentioned at all, and that's the Green Party, and particularly uh, Ajamu Baraka, who said that if you value human life and the struggle for freedom, then our liberation cannot be limited to those of us outside of the prison system. And uh, he's the Green Party vice presidential nominee. And i got to give props for him for saying that. You're not hearing anything from Trump. You're not hearing anything from Hillary. You're not hearing anything from any libertarians. None of them are talking about it. And that condemns them all by itself. So uh, Brother Baraka stands uh, alone, apparently, in the political structure when it comes to presidential nominees and vice presidential nominees in this conversation. So see what he has to say at New Abolitionist Radio. Also, I'd like to point out some of the ripple effects that are occurring because of the decision by the uh, Justice Department to phase out its use of private prisons. We said it when it first happened that these ripple effects would occur, that DHS would follow suit, that the states would follow suit, that local municipalities would follow suit with what the federal government is doing. And here we have an initial movement on private prison divestment by city pension funds. And this uh, story says that Comptroller Scott Stringer and the trustees of New York City Employees Retirement System, NYCERS, one of the city's five pension funds, voted unanimously to pass a resolution on Thursday to explore how divestment from private prisons could affect the fund's investment portfolio. The decision came three weeks 
after an announcement by the federal government that it would phase out its dependence on private prisons to house the decreasing number of federal inmates. A Department of Justice report, which formed the basis of that announcement, cited dangerous conditions at private prisons, increased costs, and inefficiency. Well, that's the minimum of what they would mention on here, but nonetheless, now we have these controllers in New York getting together, deciding to divest from private prisons. So that, that's a good thing. It's always a good thing and the right thing to do. And then further on, as I mentioned, DHS now is considering ending private prisons. If you remember, Scotty, that was one of the biggest arguments from people uh, when the information first came out. Well, what about DHS? Well, the DHS is facing mounting pressure to end its contract as policymakers called out conditions. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security will study whether to discontinue using privately run detention centers, which the Justice Department recently called unsafe for migrants and shares of private prison operators fell on Monday after the news. Again, their shares fell. They are plummeting. Department Secretary Jay Johnson said he directed his advisory council to evaluate whether the agency should continue to contract with private prison operators and make a recommendation by November 30th. Advocates for immigration have accused the companies of withholding proper mental health and medical care from detainees to boost profits. So they've done a lot more than that to boost boost profits. But nonetheless, I just wanted to point that out to you and to our audience that the ripple effects are occurring, that we are seeing the beginnings of the ends. Private prison stock is plummeting. Uh, they're already concerned about closing private prisons throughout Texas. They're worried about losing all their jobs and their incomes. And now DHS is following suit. I yeah. suspect that the next step will be the states doing the same thing. Remember, you heard it here. Remember, after uh, the DOJ announcement, uh, the private prison stock on average dropped about 50%. And then it only recovered about 30%. And so it's in flux, you know. But I imagine, man, that a lot of people, 401ks and pensions and stuff, took a huge hit, man. And that should be making them considering divesting. That it's risky now. It's risky, even though, even if we can't get them to do it because it's the right thing to do. You should. You are in slaver if you invested in 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 private prison um, uh, companies as well as these jail bonds and whatnot. So I hope I, again. I hope a lot of people lost their shirts, so to speak, when that when that stock dropped like fifty percent. I, I hope that they never recover all that they lost. But you would think that this would be a warning sign for others to start divesting, and and so maybe this is also the beginning of that movement as well. Which you know we had already we had already been seeing with the student led divestment movements on different university campuses and what have you. But now, even though these people may not care about slavery in this country they do care about losing their shirts in the stock market so hopefully we'll, we'll see you know a lot more divestments and and on a side note on a side note you know uh wachovia just no excuse me wells fargo which is which actually was part of slavery back in the 1850s when they create were created yes they were all right they were involved in the in the slave trade prior to the 1865 uh civil war i mean excuse me prior to the civil war but anyway wells fargo 
at one time was the second largest investor in the GEO group, which is the second largest private prison in slavery in the world. And so anyway, um, you just had, they just fired like 5,000 employees, 5,000 or more. The guy who was running that division of Wells Fargo is being forced to resign, although he walking away with about $125 million in retirement. Uh, but the CEO of Wells Fargo then came out with a pledge saying that we pledged to clean up bad behavior. So I tweeted at Wells Fargo and I asked them if that included divesting themselves of prison stock. And, and so, uh, again, you know, um, it's exciting time right now to be an abolitionist with all this movement. Like, you know, there have been times, and, and Max, you've been there as well, where we get depressed and we get down because we don't think nobody's hearing us. We think we're wasting our time and we're just spitting in the wind. But then when we see activity that comes about as a result of, the, of our propaganda efforts and the efforts of abolitionists internationally, all right, it, it's just, it's, it just it, you know, it just does my spirit good, man. Indeed, brother. You know, I've always tried to keep hope because I ain't got much else. So I've been trying to keep hope alive. And it's good to see the fruits of those labors come into fruition. Uh, and most recently, we'll see a culmination of that with, as you mentioned earlier, the 13th in its premiere on October 7th with uh, Sister DuVernay and uh, the story of the 13th Amendment and its connection to prison slavery. You know, we're, we're not just conspiracy theorists talking out of behind here. Everything we talk about is backed up by facts. And we know exactly what's going on, and we're trying to do our best to make sure you know exactly what's going on. This is no mistake. This is modern-day slavery and human trafficking. They criminalize people, as the video said earlier in the show. When, you don't, when, you, when prisons are for profit and prisoners become a commodity, you create prisoners. You create criminals. And we see that happening through poverty, by impoverishing communities, primarily black, brown, and uh, minority communities, where they didn't go in and they hunt these people like uh, wild game hunters, collect them, pick up, like, for instance, a 16-year-old boy in New York City where once you put your hands on him as an officer, he's worth $350,000 to a private prison. And then they put them in these private prisons or these public prisons and jails and make money by storing their bodies. And then they make even more money by exploiting their free labor. And then they make even more money by extorting their families, by forcing their families to pay up to $15 for 10 minutes for video conferencing, and uh, extorting the prisoners themselves by charging as much as two and three and 400% over the price for goods and services that they require while in prison. And at the same time, they give them as little as they possibly can. They underfeed them. They don't give them any medical care. They don't give them any uh, mental health care. And they're just generally abused people, human beings in these prisons. Now, is ending private prisons going to end slavery? No. But it's going to be, be a big chunk of what is the end of slavery, a very large chunk. Because right now, all of our prison and justice department and our justice uh, system is infiltrated by this for-profit market value system. And we have to end that. It's a poison that is making the rest of the system completely toxic. Well, Scotty, we're at the 
uh, 9.37 mark. I think that uh, we need to get on our final segments and uh, then our final statements for the evening. And we'll have wrapped up another powerful program of New Abolitionist Radio. And hopefully you got something out of it today as a listener that you can pass on to someone else. At the very least, you can click share. Well, I, I did have an opportunity to record the abolitionists in profile, but I think uh, the writer of the Underground Railroad, we usually do that first, so you want to do that? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I, I'm pulling it up right now. Uh, okay. We like to give uh, recognition to the people who have regained their freedom uh, to what we call the 21st century Underground Railroad, where people are getting their freedom and getting freed, and others are helping. There are uh, right now, Harriet Tubman's out there who are leading people to freedom. The Innocence Project is one of those organizations, but by no means the only organization. And this story comes from them, and it's in regards to Anthony Wright. It says, after Innocence Project lawyers present DNA evidence proving the innocence of Anthony Wright and pointing to the real assailant, a Philadelphia jury acquitted Wright of the 1991 rape and murder of Luis Talley on August 23, 2016. He became the 344th DNA exoneree in the nation. Now, mind you, that's just DNA exonerees. There are many, many more types of exonerees. Wright wrongly served 25 years for the rape and murder at the retrial. It was disclosed that DNA testing of clothing alleged by police to have been worn by Wright to commit the crime were not his and could not have been in his home as the police claimed. At the retrial, it was revealed that since the DNA testing was conducted three and a half years ago that identified Ronnie Bird as the real assailant, neither the Philadelphia Police Department nor the District Attorney's Office has conducted any additional investigation. There. They find out somebody else did it, and they find it out it's a fact somebody else did it, and then they don't even want to do any more investigations. Just leave that guy in there for 25 years. He don't matter. Not only anyway. that, Max, but lead, lead an innocent person in prison and keep the rapist and murderer on the street. Right, right. It's just terrible, man. And these are the reasons we say we need this new 21st century Nuremberg trials because these are criminal acts done by people in positions of power. The former district attorney fought efforts by the Innocence Project to conduct the testing for more than five years, eventually sending the case to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, which remanded the case back to the district court for a hearing on the testing. The testing of the rape kit identified spermazoa recovered from the victim's vagina and rectum that excluded Wright as the source and was then identified as Bird's. Bird was twice the age of Wright and almost half the age of the victim at the time of the crime and had a long criminal record, which included crimes in and around Philadelphia. Bird died in South Carolina in early 2013 and was never able to be questioned about the crimes or prosecuted for it. DNA testing of the clothes police claim were worn by Wright to the victim's home the night of the murder demonstrate that the clothing did not belong to Wright, but in fact had been worn by the victim. Wright was originally convicted of the 1991 rape and murder of the 77-year-old North Philadelphia resident on J June 8, 1993. Police claimed that after merely 14 minutes in custody, Wright voluntarily gave a full and complete signed confession to the crime. 
Now, we've heard that before, right? And we understand how they come about these confessions. Wright, however, who was just 20 when he was arrested, has always maintained his innocence and testified in both the original and the retrial that he only signed the alleged confession, which the police wrote out after the interrogating detectives threatened him with bodily harm. And don't doubt that they won't do it, because we know that these cops have gone as far as to take a pair of pliers on a 14-year-old boy's testicles and squeeze it until he says, yes, I did it. Nonetheless, uh, all of the prosecution's original trial witnesses, two of whom were admitted crack dealers, claimed that Wrights committed the crime alone, saying either that they saw him enter the victim's home alone or that he described his actions to them. Not only did the witnesses provide conflicting details, but most importantly, none of them mentions anything about Bird, the then 39-year-old convicted felon whose semen was identified by DNA testing on the vaginal rectal swabs collected from the victim at autopsy. Since the original trial, Two of the witnesses passed away, but under Pennsylvania law, the prosecution was allowed to enter their earlier testimony into evidence without providing the lawyers the opportunity to question them regarding the new DNA evidence. The prosecution was also allowed to enter the original testimony of three other witnesses who were then teenagers and known to the police after they testified at the retrial that they had no recollection of their earlier testimony. Wright again testified in his own defense, telling the jury that he worked at his full-time construction job on the day of the crime and later went to a nightclub. The jury deliberated for less than an hour before reaching its verdict. Wright, who is now wrongly served 25 years for the crime, walked out of the courtroom a free man. He was surrounded by his family, which included his son and a granddaughter. At his original trial, Wright narrowly escaped the death penalty by a 75 vote of the jury. And we here at New Abolitionist Radio salute you brother right welcome to freedom wow man and nobody will go to jail or prison uh, don't won't be prosecuted because you know they that's just how this system works man i mean really i mean you just really victimize the family of the victim again when you put innocent people in prison, when you have evidence exonerating someone, you would think that you would want to, you know, you would think these prosecutors, these people who have taken oaths to uphold justice and whatnot, that once they get that evidence exonerating someone, they would not be trying to fight to keep them in there. But that's what we see all the time. So what does that say about these people? What does it say about them? Man. And I bet you he will receive no compensation for the 25 years of his life lost at the hands of prosecutors who uh, really conducted prosecutorial misconduct. So it's just as simple as that. Crimes against humanity. They knew what they were doing. The clothes never belonged to him. They planted clothes. They accused him wrongly and then forced him into a confession with bodily harm. We read this same type of story far too often. But nonetheless, we will celebrate the fact that this brother, after 25 years, is now walking free and holding his grandchild. Welcome to freedom. Amen to that. Well, our next segment, as usual, is our abolitionist in profile, where we celebrate our, uh, those who came before us, whether it be in the past or even in the present, as we have celebrated people like Angela Davis, who is still alive and with us. And today, Scotty Reed has pre-recorded something for us, I believe. Uh, for our abolitionists in profile. Our abolitionists in profile tonight is Francis Ellen Watkins 
Harper, born in 1825 and died in 1911. Frances Ellen Watkins Harper was born in Baltimore, Maryland in 1825. Famously known in her lifetime as the Bronze Muse, Frances Ellen Watkins Harper passionately strove for the human rights of American citizens during the 19th century through her literary expertise. The term human rights was a much less used expression in at the time. Nevertheless, the concept of human rights was the dramatic center of debate for many activists and abolitionists of the era who fought for the civil rights liberties of all citizens. Harper's uncle, William Watkins, had exposed her to abolitionism at an early age. This influenced her to commit herself to the anti-slavery cause in 1854 when the Fugitive Slave Law prevented her from returning to her home state of Maryland as a free woman. With her passion for literature and abolitionism, she emphatically wrote and spoke out against racism, sexism, and classism in many works, including poetry, lectures, short stories, and novels. In a short time, Harper became the most celebrated female African-American writer in the United States. Here is an excerpt from a poem she wrote about slavery. And mothers stood with streaming eyes and saw their dear children sold. Unheeded rise their bitter cries while tyrants bartered them for gold. After the end of the Civil War, Watkins supported the advancement of civil rights for African Americans, women's rights, and equality in education for all. Frances Ellen Watkins Harper died in Philadelphia on February the 20th, 1911, and was buried with her daughter at Eden Cemetery in the John Brown section on February the 24th, 1911. Read more about her at the Archives of Maryland's website and explore pahistory.com. New Abolitionist Radio salutes abolitionist Frances Ellen Watkins Harper. Salute, man! The poets, always the poets. Yeah, we were, just, we were just talking about that not too long ago. A number of the abolitionists we have profiled have been have uh, been spoken word artists and poets. Indeed, yes, yes, sir. I mean, who better to deliver a message than a spoken word poet? Right, and and again, I can't stress enough the power of media. It took Malcolm X, me watching uh, Malcolm X speaking on the subject, to realize the power of the media, and that then led to the creation of the Black Talk Media Project. But again, we cannot downplay the role of media in the earlier abolitionist movements. Uh, many of them uh, published newspapers, like you just heard about, Miss um, Harper, you know, she wrote many stories, wrote poetry about it. Um, I, I mean, I, ju I just can't stress enough. Media is the most powerful entity on the face of the planet because it controls the minds of the masses. It can make the innocent look guilty and the guilty look innocent. And, and, and it is because of media that they making Abraham Lincoln look like he innocent. And he not. He not. He guilty. He guilty. He guilty of perpetrating the greatest fraud ever perpetrated against mankind. 
in, in, in coming up with this deal with these confederates to do what he said he was going to do in from the start, and that is leave their institution of slavery in place. We have the letters that he wrote. Last week, Max read one of the letters from the Georgia congressman, or Lincoln wrote to the Georgia congressman. So we have the letters. We have the letters. So, you know, again, salute to Francis Ellen Watkins Harper, um, you know, an abolitionist who used media to push the case of abolitionism. Amen to that, man. I just want to remind people, too, one more time, because it's getting down to the wire. You'll only hear about this one more week, and then it'll happen where uh, not only myself, but myself, Johanna and Elias, and Tribal Rain will all be together for the Missouri Cures 13th Annual Statewide Conference. That's September 24, 2016, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at the Southeast Community Center, 63rd in Jackson, in Kansas City, Missouri. The event is free. But RSVP is required. So please contact them at MissouriCure.org. I'm telling you right now, I plan on making as much impact as I possibly can. And when I walk out of that building, I suspect that if not all, nearly all people in there will have become slavery abolitionists if they are not all. Expect something very powerful from that combination on September 24th at Missouri Cure's 13th annual statewide conference. Most definitely. If you're in the area, make sure you RSVP so you can be there. Yes. Front row seat. You want to be there. I'm trying to get them to stream it live internationally so we can make a global impact while we also uh, work on a local level. Hope they um, are able to make that happen. Indeed, Scotty. Well, you know, we got 10 minutes left, and I do have something I want to read, which is an excerpt from uh, Martin Luther King's uh, letters from Birmingham Prison. But before that, I want to give you the opportunity to uh, say anything you want to say or maybe share something before we call it an evening. Who, me? Yes, sir. Oh, my final statements? Unless you have something else you want to share first. We do have a few minutes uh, extra. No, I don't have anything else, Max. All right, then. I guess that would be your, your final statement, then, for the evening. Oh, yeah. My, well, my final statement is 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 um, uh, Johanna couldn't be with us tonight, so I will close out by saying peace to abolitionists and death to the oppressor. In slavery. <laughs> well, oh, that's uh, exactly. I didn't miss him tonight. We miss him every time when he's not here, but we understand that he has to feed his family. And he's working for a corporation right now, so he's got to do what he's got to do. But he is always a co-host here at New Abolitionist Radio. And anytime he walks through this door, figuratively speaking, he is home. Indeed. So shout out to you, brother, Johanan Elia, uh, out there in Missouri right now, holding it down. I want to give a shout out also to brother Melvin Ray uh, out in Alabama, who's helped organize the prison labor work strike. I want to give a shout out to IWW, Workers Incarcerated Committee. Uh, who is organizing this work, prison work strike, uh, Brother Kinetic, who is doing the same thing. And I want you to know we understand the sacrifices that you're making and that you're putting your lives at risk. You can't put your freedoms at risk because you've already lost that. The only thing you have left is your life. We understand the sacrifices you're making as well by giving up your jobs, which are only paying you pennies on the, on the, on the dollar. But at the same time, 
you know, you may not be able to get the things that you necessarily need for the next month, but the impact will have a global effect. And we thank you for your sacrifice from the inside, and we will do everything we can to help you here from the outside. I often hear these media pundits keep questioning uh, what we're doing and what certain individuals are doing. Like, uh, what's the, the football star's name? Collins? Colin Kaepernick. Kaepernick, for instance, right? And you'll hear him on CNN, uh, the governor's son, Cuomo, start talking about, you know, we, uh, we agree with what they're doing is right. We just want them to do it the right way. Could it be a better, couldn't they do it a better way or a different time? And this is the white moderate ideology that we hear all the time. We've been hearing it since the 1960s and before. And I'd like to read a quote from Martin Luther King Jr. in his letters to, uh, from a Birmingham jail where he said, first, I must confess that over the last few years I have been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in the stride toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klaner, but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice, who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but I can't agree with your message or direct action, who paternalistically feels he can set the timetable for another man's freedom, who lives by the myth of time and who constantly advises the Negro to wait until a more conventional season. Shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection. Reverend Martin Luther King, Jr., 16th of April, 1963. Some of my first memories, as a matter of fact, are of Martin Luther King Jr. being killed. Hearing my great aunt crying, my uncle crying, because they knew at that time that a great blow had been struck against freedom. And we watched these things happen over and over again. And now is the time to make a difference. And the best way you can do that is by changing your mind. Stop looking at this as a mistake and start looking at it as an intentional act. This is not mass incarceration, police brutality, injustice in the justice system, institutional racism. This has one word that describes it, and that word is slavery. So I want you to remember this if you don't remember anything else. Abolition is a reason for revolution, so we can finally know some peace. Peace, Scotty. Peace, all. Rise up, rise up, rise up, rise up, rise up, rise up, rise up. Just lift your eyes up, let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times at this time. Rise up, rise up, when death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing. Rise up, when famine claims millions, when justice gives blind eyes to billions, when the Lord's anger is no longer fear.
here If his protection is gone and your enemies are near If you've seen the seas spill over And the mountains shake, break and fall If the moon ever turns blood red And you can't see the sun at all Rise up, no matter if the prize is high in the skies or